Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Rusty Quill presents When you cruise the sleepscape as much as I do, you are sometimes forced into a position of ditching objective facts for subjective truths, regardless of how it might chap the britches of the good old scientific method. That was certainly the case here. In the waking world, Yuri killing the deep sleeper, and then himself, made all the sense in the world when I added up the material facts, the knife, the suicide note admission, and so forth. But when I summed up the immaterial facts, the whole thing came up soft. The immaterial facts being that Yuri had no way of knowing I was in contact with the deep sleeper, and that the creature was just about to let some sort of cat out of the bag. The timing of it all pushed hard against the material case that was all but open and closed. The only way it can make sense is if Yuri found some way to consciously navigate the sleepscape patched into a conversation between two indigenous dreamers and did so without ever knowing about it. Or it was all just some big perfectly timed coincidence and Yuri executed his plan at the exact moment the deep sleeper was about to let something slip about me personally. 
The only thing I could think of concerning the sleeper's big reveal was that sugar was our triplet, but that shoe had already dropped. What else was there to know about me? Maybe something about my mother, Charlotte? She was definitely something that loomed large within my dreams. (laughs) Larger than large, in fact. But what could it see that I couldn't? Sorry, I know you wanted some privacy, but, uh, something sort of come up, you might say. Like what? Just meet me up here on the port deck. It's easier just to show you than to tell you over the phone. Alright, on my way. Once I got up top, a good portion of the total security team was all over the decks, weapons at the ready, spotlights turned toward the sea, and by the look of things, one hell of a storm was brewing. Are those what I think they are? So long as you think they're coffins, yeah. There's gotta be a million of them. They're everywhere. Anyone look inside one of them yet? Duluth is waiting to talk to the head honcho about that very possibility right now. So we're finally going to get a face to put to the name, huh? For a guy who's running things, he didn't show up much in the briefing papers. Just Mission Commander Albertus Mesmer, Scholar of the Dark. Duluth said Mesmer couldn't make it to the um, meet and greet last night on account of some important mission details he had to review. (laughs) <laughs> In other words, he didn't want to mingle with the rank and file. That's my guess. I wonder if a dark scholar's higher up the ladder than an assistant Mysterian. I'm curious if we're in better or worse hands than before. I know that the scholars are extremely specialized academics, for all intents and purposes, peerless in whatever field they belong to. Still, I didn't think they personally oversaw missions. Let's hope this one knows his asshole from his elbow, and doesn't let this turn into the clusterfuck that Blackledge was. Are those caskets pinging your power at all? Yeah, that's why I called it in. Whatever they are, they aren't normal. This shit ring any bells for you? I can only think of one thing. Suttercraft. It's a city out east somewhere. Supposedly, the townspeople are always finding these coffins buried in odd places. Locals had all kinds of crazy ideas as to why they were there and what they meant, but that's about as much as I've got in terms of coffin lore. (laughs) Whatever they are, they feel like the tip of the iceberg, which isn't great, considering our um, current situation. Wait a minute, hold on. Look over yonder. Methinks our leader has finally arrived. The Scholar of the Dark appeared pretty much as I'd imagined him. The gray temples, gauntness, and piercing gaze all spoke to high erudition, and all of it combined with a darksome fashion sense. His long black cloak stretched out in the wind like a massive bat wing, his eyes flashing shrewd and cold beneath its shadow. But what came after, trailing behind the scholar as if it were the man's own shadow, only much, much larger, was his minder. I knew that each dark scholar was given a bodyguard of some kind, always something dangerous and fiercely protective of their charge. I couldn't speak to this one's loyalty, but it definitely had the fearsome thing nailed. 
Topping out at about eight feet, the creature was entirely veiled from sight by a thick black curtain affixed to the brim of a wide black hat, a hat that would require about five human heads to properly fill. Beyond even its outlandish appearance was its gait, or lack thereof. The thing moved across the deck as if it were floating, nothing at all to suggest any known form of ambulation. The shrouded creature turned ever so slightly in Isaiah's direction, and I could see a hint of recognition in my brother's eyes. You two know each other? Maybe. Anyway, let's go meet the new squire, shall we? We've run all the preliminary scans and whatnot, but uh, they ain't telling us much, sir. Right now, we're thinking maybe a sea obscurum of some kind? I mean, you run into enough of this stuff on land. Only makes sense for the same thing to happen over water, right? You could be right, but it's better to err on the side of caution. I think these things, coffins, came with a storm. Perhaps they'll leave with it as well. So we'll stay put for now, shut down the engines. If they're still here in the morning, and after the storm, we'll push through them. But, um, not until. And I also want a guard posted along the decks, and a few up high. If anything changes, I want to know about it immediately. Yes, sir. If you, uh, don't mind me saying, Your Grace. It's just Dr. Mesmachine. What is it? If I were you, I'd get this here tub a-going while the going is still good. See, I saw something out there, and it were a lot bigger than in their coffins, too. I gotta agree with the cowboy over there, sir. I got a knack for feeling these sort of things out. And this, um, whole situation is rubbing me the wrong way. Agents Rosemary and Isaiah Stroud, I apologize for failing to receive you yesterday, but things have been exceedingly busy as of recent, and I'm quite aware of your knack for detecting certain abnormalities. But, at any rate, welcome aboard, Agents. I've heard quite a bit about the brilliant work the two of you did in Marrows. Thank, Thank you, you sir. sir. I'm also aware that um, you and Dr. Voivod were acquainted. I hate to ask so soon after his passing, but were you aware of any issues he might have been suffering from? Nothing in his file even remotely suggests he'd be capable of anything like, um, well, what happened. Yesterday was the first time in years I'd seen him, sir. He was promoted from the lab quite some time ago. But Yuri and I were good friends, and nothing I remember about him would explain any of this. I see. And you have my sympathies, Agent Rosemary. I know all too well the cost of losing friends. Thank you, sir. Well, I'm not one to ignore sound advice when I hear it, so I'll get the ship moving. What in God's name? It's a giant casket. 
You gotta be kidding me. Things as big as the entire ship. The silence of dead things seeped from the mammoth box of waterlogged wood. Moments like years crawled by as we gawked, our eyes fixed upon the lid, terrified by the possibility that it might open at the living cancellation of all sanity that might spill from it. No one moved, let alone spoke. Only the sounds of sea and storm persisted. Good lord, it's opening. Everyone back into the ship now. Tearing across the deck, terrified to look back, things got even worse. We heard the legion of smaller coffins choking the sea slowly grown open. Seal those doors. Immediately. Everyone quiet. Listen. It sounds like there are hundreds of something out there walking around. There's a lot more than hundreds, sweetheart. Do not stay back from that there door if I was you. They're getting closer to the door. Jesus, they're pounding at the door. I think we should start making our way down into the hold. It's the most reinforced part of the ship. And seal all the doors as we go. Duluth. Get all non-essential personnel and as many weapons and rations as you can down there. Then send one security detail to the bridge and another to engineering. Yes, sir. Captain Randolph, come in. Captain, are you there? Over. Damn it. We need to get the boat moving. Shane, accompany the security team to the bridge. Eliminate anything that gets in your way. Radio back when you have it secured. Alrighty then. Let's go, boys. Agent Stroud, I want the two of you with me while we make our way down to the hold. The door is starting to buckle. All right, everyone has their orders. Let's go. Nothing about this mission made much sense. It had an academic for a mission commander, the captain of some kind of uh, special defense unit for a security chief, some shit-kicking cowboy with a trick eye running shotgun, and us. But I had to admit, 
Even for being clearly wet behind the ears, I sort of liked this Mesmer guy. He seemed fairly genuine, as far as that went. But his minder was another thing altogether. Literally. Its way of moving, all silent and slick, seemed like a dead ringer for the thing I tried to catch up with earlier. Regardless, I had bigger fish to fry. Much, much bigger. That's it. Everyone in. Now, seal it shut. While everyone was taking up defensive positions and counting rounds, Mesmer decided it was the perfect time for a private conversation with Romy and me. Waving us over to a secluded corner, he did the unimaginable. He leveled with us. I haven't the time to attempt to pretend things are going as planned, or that this mission was anything other than a begrudging afterthought by the higher-ups, sparing myself and those who sympathize with my interests the most meager of resources. It is in that spirit I hope you can see your way to trusting me when I say that, despite the passing attention the Esoterium is giving it, this is a vital mission. I hope that the events that transpired in Blackledge give you some sense of that to which I refer. And by that, I don't mean the Scream Eaters, but rather the Magic Lantern Ritual, what it was meant to reveal. If you're talking about the possibility of another Great Darkness, we're aware. But not because we were told outright. Just like in this situation, circumstances lead us to finding out. The hard way. I'm not sure why we keep getting invited to the party when no one wants to tell us who it's for. You have Gand to thank for that. I wanted to pull you into the circle right away. But he wanted as few people in the know as possible. You see... The Esoterium might be compromised? Possibly even a rogue Esoteri? It seems the two of you found your way into the know. And then some. But yes... We have reason to believe that forces from inside the Esoterium have deliberately been downplaying this concern. That a new darkness may be upon the horizon. I'm not following. I mean, how could the Esoterium not be all in on averting another great darkness? Doesn't make sense. Because, at the moment, the Esoterium is busy with other matters. You mean the stuff going on in Kettleston, right? Why, yes. Gand must have been far more loose-lipped than I'd imagined, especially for being as resigned as he was. And we wouldn't be having this conversation if the conflict was still confined to Kettleston, or Deadwitch, as it's come to be called. So, what's in Kettleston, or what was there? Well, I'm not sure anyone truly knows. Not precisely. Or if they do, I haven't been made aware. I've heard rumors, almost too horrible to believe. Demonic subterranean creatures that abide within a gigantic crawling city. Other rumors place the menace beyond the world. Invaders from the outer void. But whatever was loosed in Kettleston, one thing remains certain. It has caused great devastation. Entire cities destroyed, thousands killed. Apparently, all of it started rather suddenly, catching the Esoterium quite flat-footed. 
Well, in that case, I suppose we can see the reasoning behind their want to focus their efforts and resources. But still, we saw firsthand that something wasn't right with the Esoterium, especially when we saw just how comfy the Scream Eaters had gotten in Blackledge, among other things. They must have already broken down all the doors that lead down here. All right, fellas. Get ready for anything. I got no idea what might come through those doors, but I know it ain't nothing good. So, uh, fire at will. Look, I wish I could explain more, but there doesn't appear to be time. I need the two of you to secure the Cellar King. He's vital to our plans for averting another great darkness. We must get him to the Silentage. Granted, this may all be for naught, given what's outside those doors. But I must try to see this plan through. Will you help me? Get ready, ladies and gems. They're making for us. <sighs> of course. We'll do all we can. <laughs> this is a first. Never been sent to save an XO before. Thank you. You can access the bottom of the vessel through the hatch we had specially installed to lead down to Pilz's cell. It's on the other side of those boxes of diagnostic equipment. And you won't miss his cell. It was specifically constructed to look like a basement, out of necessity, given the nature of Pilz's unique ability. When and if we should make it out of all this, I'll radio for you to come back up. Got it. Alright, let's get going. After you. Once we found the hatch, we wasted no time getting to work, though I'd have much rather stayed behind and given the uh, decent folk a hand staving off whatever was coming for us all. Better that than trying to protect some goddamn loony with an aversion to above-ground living. Once we'd gotten down into the guts of the boat, we both paused to hear whether the hold had been breached by anything. For once, the silence was reassuring, and then some good news came across the radio. Well, sorta. This here Shane, over. I hear you. Go ahead. I'm on the bridge. Weren't nobody between you and here that we had to deal with. But the bridge crew's gonna need a, at least a vacation, if not some time in a padded room. They uh, saw what was in the big box, apparently, and it weren't good. But I got one fella here who hid in the john. Says he can drive the boat. Yes, absolutely. Have him take us out of here immediately. You got it then. Okay, fella. Looks like you're the captain now. Let's get her going.
Just as the engines turned over and the boat started to move, something gigantic seemed to grab onto us, and I didn't need more than one guess to know what it was. But the worst part was when the thing spoke. Its whispered voice carried clean through the entire ship, as if it were speaking directly to each and every one of us. You must stay here with me, beneath the deep waters of dead space, where the strewn corpses of blackened stars drift cold and silent. I have a death box for each year to rot in and to remember the life you left behind. For filling with screams none will ever hear. The sea will keep you like sunken secrets never told. And we will live beyond the touch of the sun forever. The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld, and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And for more exclusive content such as additional lore, stories, and art, be sure to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia.